Hi, my name is Caitlin Rich and I work for the Chief Medical Office for VMLY and RX and welcome to the first episode in our patient podcast series. For the last two years, we've been running a patient partnership programme, working with patient groups to help our teams and clients better connect and co-create with different patients across different disease areas. As part of our continuing commitment, we hope you will enjoy this short podcast series where we introduce some of the amazing patient support groups who we've been fortunate enough to partner with. Today, I'm delighted to introduce you to Julie Harrington, CEO of Guts UK, which is a charity committed to fighting digestive diseases. Thanks so much for joining us, Julie. Hi there, Caitlin. Good afternoon. Hi. So first of all, Julie, it'd be great to hear from you about how Guts UK started and why you got involved. Okay, well then, it it actually started in 1971. We've just celebrated our 50th year. But the public would never have known of it because it wasn't called Guts UK. It was actually the Digestive Disorders Foundation Trust (laughs) of 1971, set up with £500 from the British Society of Gastroenterology. And they have done, you know, £16 million worth of, of research and really amazing stuff. And I think if I take over where I came in, I came in five years ago. Now, I'm a fundraiser. I'm nothing to do with medical. I've got one O level in biology. Yeah. (laughs) And I was tapped on the shoulder to say, would I be interested in being the CEO of this little charity? And at that time, it was called CORE, C-O-R-E. And I remember thinking, I've been in the charity sector for a while. I've never heard of that name before. What on earth do they do? And... um, the, the headhunter said, well, have a look at the website. And of course, the website had fallen off. So I phoned him back and I said, do you think we should have a coffee and have a chat? And he said, why don't we? And, and, and the story is they've struggled for a long time with their name, but struggled because it was a group of researchers who were facing each other and talking about research. They were not facing the public. So I come along as a fundraiser, you know, charity sector for 30 years. But also my family had been hugely affected by digestive disease. My father died of bowel cancer. My mother lived with hemochromatosis. Brother died of liver failure. Grandmother died of um, volvulus, which is twisted bowel. You know, so when I looked at it and thought, hang on a minute, I think what they're doing is really, really important. Mm-hmm. So I um, jumped up. I, I went all the way down to London from me, me home in Uddersfield and I did two long interview processes with and, and I say this stale, pale and male, you know, in tweed jackets. That's exactly I, I, I did laugh at one point. There were that many of them on one side of the table. I said, am I going for a UN job or something? I mean, what's going on here? And, you know, basically I said, what are you doing? What a dreadful name. How dare you go about doing this brilliant research and not telling anybody you've got to face the public and take your role in there. So to cut a long story short, they gave me the job. You see, be careful what you wish for. Um, And I came, I joined in April 2016 and I knew we had to turn to face the public and take our place and, and get people involved. And so began the process of doing research about, you know, what the name should be. Um, and I, you know, we were, we, at the time there were just two of us, uh, myself and the finance manager, Alice. Um, but I was adamant that, you know, we needed to get something that people could access digitally and it had to be something they'd be looking at with, you know, two fingers online. And, you know, lo and behold, Guts UK, say like it is, does what it does on the tin. Um, and we launched it as Guts UK on the 1st of June 2018. So if you say when we were born, we were born as a patient facing organisation on the 1st of June 2018. 
uh, trundling along very nicely with our new brand and our remark, you know, our, our remarketed image. You know what we, we did some research and what our patients told us we got the fastest uptake of people in in um in a, a qualitative market research piece to say what do you think about this charity mm-hmm. fastest that the agency we use said my god that's in 48 hours we've got 787 people giving us a full you know blurb on what they think and basically they were sort of reaffirming what i was saying this is so important it cannot be under the under the table you've got to raise the flag and a banner that we can stand under because we're mm-hmm. struggling and that's the truth of it is the essence of this charity is the fact that people are suffering and people are dying because of a lack of knowledge about our guts now scientists don't know enough pharmaceutical companies can't do enough in it researchers can't get enough you know it really is underfunded woefully underfunded for decade that means that gps don't know enough and healthcare professionals don't know enough and people themselves don't talk about it nor do they know where to go for credible information mm-hmm. and so you know that is that sweet spot that we operate in we are here to increase the knowledge on our guts and we have three charitable objectives provide evidence-based information for people affected, raise awareness of digestive health, and fund medical research into the digestive system. So that's it. We turned, we faced the public. Um, We're a massive empire of eight people now. Um, And the big problem there is, is that we actually belie the fact, you know, like that we punch, you know, we punch mightier than our weight. People ring us up thinking that we've got whole digital departments and all the rest of it, and where it's just us on the line you know sort of like doing what we do but wow the need has been really affirmed do people look this up of course they do fascinating things i mean i'm not digital native let's say (laughs) you know i'm a middle-aged woman with fat fingers and glasses so by the time something happens on social media and i've got my glasses on i've missed it but i have employed digital natives to try to understand more about this and it's something like 238,000 people a day are Googling diarrhea. That's if they spell it right. <laughs> now, that's fascinating to me. Yeah. Because actually nobody knows what condition they've got, but they do have symptoms. They're Googling their symptoms and then they begin that journey in. So what could diarrhea be a symptom of? And then they can come to our website and start to explore it and find the evidence based information. Yeah. Um, And that is, you know, that has been fantastic. If I tell you that in the last year that we were core, um, we had 30,000 people to the website in the whole year. We're now between 70,000 and 100,000 a month of website hits. So that's the growth. That's that digital presence is right. Yeah. If I bring you up to date with what's happened, because, of course, we were a brand new charity facing the public and, and getting out there and fundraising for your guts. Heaven knows, you know, I mean, that's the other thing about this charity is, you know, I came along and thought, well, I need to do a little swift look at the marketplace. And there, there are 153 charities or patient organisations in the digestive disease area. Wow. And you think, what? That's a lot. But then most of them are disease specific. Celiac mm-hmm. UK, Crohn's and Colitis UK, Bowel Cancer UK. So they're just dealing with one disease area. How clear is that? We do top to tail. Now, 25 feet of gut is a lot of gut to understand, isn't it? 
absolutely top to tail and all the conditions and then you know add on to that your gallbladder your bile duct your pancreas you know whoa hang on a minute and I remember really at the beginning we quite struggled and that was one of the struggles historically is what's the name that could you know could could represent all of that at one point they were called the British found the British Digestive Foundation and they got that many calls about biscuits they quickly <laughs> dropped that after 12 months but you know that's the point, isn't it? But then when you look into it, we don't need to go into the areas that are already heavily resourced, you know, mm. because that's the, there are other charities and there are other, you know, that are just dealing in that one disease area and providing the evidence-based information. But there are such a lot of other Cinderella or orphan digestive diseases. And one example is pancreatitis. And I'd never, I mean, to be honest, I really didn't quite know what the pancreas did five years ago. But if we can, I'm going to tell you about one person that is re that really changed my whole, you know, I'd only been in the job a couple of weeks and this woman turned up. And so she is, if she's 80, she was 86. No, she was 87 last month. So five years ago, that's it. She's called Lois. I'd been in the job for as I say, two weeks, three weeks, and a donation came in from a lady that said, here is the uh, money from selling my cards at my craft fairs um, and a donation from the neighbour. Please add it to my pile, as it were. And I wrote back and said, oh, lovely that you make cards. I wonder if you'd make some for me. I'm the new CEO here at CORE. It was called CORE then. Would you make some for me? Because I, you know, I like to write handwritten thank yous for special things. And a couple of weeks later, this parcel arrived. And in it, was she'd made these beautiful handmade cards for us. Um, and in it was a letter and it said, I wish you luck in your new role. It would have been nice to have a thank you over the years. I haven't actually had one. So it's nice to see that you will be thanking people. And I had a quick look and thought, what do you mean she's not had a thank you? And to be fair, the charity had never run facing the public. It had just accepted donations and it hadn't had that mantra of, you know, acknowledging people like, a, you know, a fundraising charity. Mm. So this lady and her family had raised, you know, quite a bit of money for us, but hadn't actually experienced a thank you. Now, yeah. the secret is, of course, that on the letter was her phone number. So I quickly picked up this letter and phoned her. And we had a conversation and she said it's lovely of you to, to, to chat and she told me all about how her husband Alan had died of pancreatitis and how he went through a terrible time of nobody knowing what it was and that there wasn't enough information and she said there wasn't enough information in the hospital there wasn't enough information for my family to look up online and mm -hmm. she said when we did do some googling and looking around yours is the only charity that funds a fellowship into pancreatitis. Wow. And she said, so that's why we support. And I, I did have to say to her, you know, I'm a fundraiser by, you know, Adam by birth, I think, actually. But I actually said, Lois, you know, the next question I'm going to ask you, if you never got a thank you, why did you keep giving here? And she said, for that reason, there is nobody else doing research into pancreatitis. And this is the only place. She said, so don't you start getting personal about things. She said, it's bigger than you. And it's bigger than me. She said, we're only here temporarily. She said, but that fellowship's been going for some years. And if anybody's going to find the answers out, it's those researchers. She said, so that's why I do my bit. And it was such a big eye opener for me. I then had to go away and research pancreatitis and look at the figures. 
30,000 people a year affected by acute pancreatitis. One in five of those will need critical care in the ICU. Some of them are in for months and one in five of them will die. Now, that's just one area that doesn't have its own charity and doesn't have anybody else representing. But with people like Lois, I tell you, she's the banner waver. She still makes all our beautiful handmade cards. And it was by learning about pancreatitis that we opened, we started to do uh, Cranky Panky, which is the month of November. That's what they call themselves, you see. We then entered into the community. Other people came forward and said, right, you're the only people doing pancreatitis. We're depending on you. And they mm -hmm. called themselves Cranky Pankies and said, come on, get us involved. And, and these Cranky Pankies are the most amazing people who have, you know, survived. Some of them haven't and their families are doing it in their memory and in their honour and celebrating their lives. And for every day in November, once we tell a story every day about pancreatitis, and we've been doing it uh, since uh, I think 2018 was our first one. And those people then get connected and interrelated and their stories really help mm -hmm. because somebody who, again, is in the position I was. And we must always remember that this is where I believe everybody begins. Some people know things about the guts, but most of us haven't got a clue. Even my own daughter, who knows I've been here for five years, we had a conversation last night. She said, well, how big how big's the liver then? Well, I'm not feeling there with the lungs then, you know, and we were doing all this. And actually what we've got are these fantastic knitted guts, knitted to scale. Amazing. <laughs> by the Women's Institute, uh, Croft House Cookies up here in Yorkshire. Um, Audrey has translated this very complex American pattern. And we have these brilliant knitted guts that allow us to throw it on the floor and say, go on, put it all together. Let's talk about it. How does it work? How does it connect? Where are the danger points? Where are the most, you know, where are the most problems? And I think that's it. Most people start from that position, not knowing a single thing. And therefore, when it goes wrong, where are they looking? So yeah. come the pandemic, uh, yeah, we were a new charity out there. And then, of course, we went into lockdown in, in March 2020. And my small team and I took a big deep breath and thought, oh, we were just getting out there. Oh, what's going to happen? And in fact, we don't have a helpline. We don't advertise a helpline. We don't promote a helpline. But everybody pivoting to digital meant that they were on those iPads looking at their gut conditions and the information requests via email and phone went up 400 percent. Wow. For people not being able to go to their doctor's offices and things. And quite frighteningly, as we hear about now, it's the perception that the GP is closed. That means that they are not going to seek anybody yeah mm -hmm. and again I'm going to give you another story if I may um, because you. we only employed our first information manager Julie Thompson uh, on January 2020 and by March 2020 she's in a bedroom on her own taking these calls on a mobile phone and I remember thinking oh my gosh um that you know people look at the website there's a number and they ring it and the, you know, what's interesting is the people who ring it are the ones who are really tripping up over the reading of it. You know, you might think, and this is what we learned a lot about the pandemic. You can put that stuff up there all, you know, flat in well-written English and all the rest of it. 
but not everybody takes information in the same way. Sure. And when you've never discussed your guts with anybody, the prospect of talking to somebody who's sympathetic and a stranger and you don't have to look at them is a really important first step. And one of the things that came to us were the elderly gentlemen, you know, who couldn't really actually, you know, pronounce some of the stuff and wanted to gather the strength to go to talk to a GP to get themselves into the system because we firmly and very firmly, uh, you know, I always say this is where you must start. You must go and see your GP. And they were saying, well, nothing wrong with, you know, I haven't got COVID and I need to stay away. And again, a gentleman rang us and I know that Julie was spending a good 45 minutes explaining to him and he, he'd rung up ostensibly because he was constipated. He wanted to talk about his hemorrhoids that were very, very uncomfortable in his constipation. And she was explaining to him about fibre because fibre is not as easy as you think either. You know, it's not just a case of take a portion of brown flakes. Brown flakes. If you're going to start putting a load of fibre in, you've got to put a little more water in, haven't you? Mm -hmm. Otherwise you get more symptoms. So again, you know, she was having a conversation about this and then it came out in the conversation that actually um, he's only been able to eat soft boiled eggs and a bit of mincemeat for a long time. And she said, why? Sorry, what, what do you mean? And he said, oh, it's been it's been quite a few months now. He said, but I can't swallow. Wow. And so he came to, you know, top to tail. Came about his tail. But actually it was his top. Yeah. And so, you know, she talked him through and said, you must go and get that checked out. No, the doctor's is closed. I'm not ringing. I'm not, you know, no, 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 you must. You must go. You must go. And, you know, it was a giving him the empowerment and the words and that not to worry him. But she said, we need to rule it out because, you know, that's that's the reason the gut is all connected and, and, and et cetera. And, you know, she was on his mind and she did ring him back um, the next week and he was actually admitted in hospital. Um, so, you know, he's in the right place. He's right with the specialist, not sitting at home, putting it off. And we know, don't we, when we talk about it, because the digestive cancers you know, are some of the worst. We're a founding member of the Less Survivable Cancers Task Force. And apart from brain and lung, esophageal, pancreatic, stomach and liver are the worst survivable cancers. 51% of people die of those six cancers. And they have been woefully underfunded for decades. And they are really difficult to get people to, if the first symptoms are there for them to present early, you know, they're all hidden. There's not lumps and bumps. By the time you've got symptoms, it's already well advanced. So it's a big area for us that we do fund current research projects are into stomach, esophageal and liver uh, cancer. But we need to work really hard on raising awareness so that people present early as well. Um, Absolutely. And I think what you said about empowering patients is something that's really important because a lot of the time they're the people who drive their own care uh, because of course doctors do have to treat people and prescribe and diagnose but the first step is someone going to the doctor and saying that they have a problem and with things that people are less aware of like problems with the gut that might also maybe be a bit embarrassing to talk about then like you say that delays diagnosis and that reduces the outcomes in the end. People die of embarrassment literally. Literally. It's dreadful. You hear it, you know it, you see it. So when they come on the phone, we particularly take our time and say, nope, this is absolutely routine work. Please go forward. You know, the people worry. I mean, and the other thing we all know is that if there's something wrong with your gut, 
the last thing people want is a scope up or down and they get themselves in a bit of a panic about that, don't they? And they say, nope, that's not happening, you know, and actually there's no need for that. Look at the advancements now. I mean, you know, the other thing that we've got, I mean, again, you know, we really change it with this big, bold, brave and honest. Those are our values which we've taken from our community. Bold, brave and honest. And we've got that, you know, bold, brave name up there, Guts UK. We've also got Colin, the inflatable colon. <laughs> um, and he's absolutely fantastic. You walk through him, he's 30 feet. And it shows you the creation of polyps, you know, they can be tiny ones and then that, you know, and you walk through and pedunculating ones, the kids like that, they punch that like it's, a, you know, but while <laughs> the kids are all having a go through and we go roll up, roll up, come and have a look at your guts, they're fascinating. You know, we're telling a really interesting story. And again, I, I took it out for the first time. I'll never forget when we changed the name. It was like, well, let's go and see if it works. And we stood there in a field, at a carnival with Colin the colon and a big information table and a loo, a toilet, a camping toilet that's got, it was full of facts and funnies. So I wanted to get the kids to put the hand in, pull out a fact or tell a funny joke. And they got an apple, a choice of a red or a green apple. And they got a free water carrier because that's their best drink in the world, you know. So we were doing a kind of education outreach thing. And there was a grandma and grandpa came along with some kids and they, I went through it and they, he stood outside. He went, no, I'm not going in. No, you go in. So grandma came in with me and the kids and I told her the story because at the end of Colin the Colon, you can see where the cancer has advanced into the bowel and nothing but a surgeon's knife is checking that out. Mm -hmm. um, um, and then so she said to me, here, you take the kids over there. She said, sort them out without toilet. So I took the kids and I was looking over my shoulder and she was, I could see her nattering away with her husband. The next thing she takes him in and shows, you know, and they, they go disappearing into Colin. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And then afterwards she came out to me and she got older, the grandkids. And she said, she said, he's just thrown away that test that's come in the post because he said he won't mess with his poo. She said, and I've just shown him that could save his life. She said, so at the end of it, he went, all right, I'll order another one. And off he walked, you know. Right. That, that's the power of engaging in that way, isn't it? Big, bold, brave, you know, and, and, and you know, that very same day I had this gorgeous, all these boys kept coming in going, it's hot, missus, can we sit inside your colon? I said, of course you can, in you go, take some photos, <laughs> take selfies. Um, and then eventually this crowd of teenage, I mean, again, imagine, you know, 14, 14 year olds or whatever, they're quite big. I thought, oh, heck, you know, but no, they, they came in and they, had, they engaged and they chatted about what you're doing here and stuff. And then later on, that little group, came, two of that group came back and one of them went, go on, tell her, go on, tell her. And then this guy said, you know, I've got Crohn's disease. And he said, um, I said, all oh, right. I said, and do your friends know? He said, this one does. He said, he supports me. He said, but I'm a bit embarrassed. He said, but today he said it's been really good because I've been able to tell them that, that the reason I'm off school a lot and the reason I miss time off school is because I've got a condition that that's that's uh, that's in my gut. And he said, it's it's been able, I've been able to say it. I've never been able to say it before. That's and that was just for me. I went home that night absolutely exhausted, let me tell you. I'm but sure that those two stories i knew we had the right name i knew we had the right approach and for you know anybody who might walk past going is that what i think it is that's fine you can go online and have a look at least you've seen the name but the others you know that come and, and it starts something new it really makes me know that we you know we're ready to go out and actually i'm so excited to tell you on sunday we're going out for the first time with colin yay oh, fantastic. where are you off to with colin <laughs> We're going to Dad, which is a big, it's the biggest disability awareness day in the country. Oh, and it goodness. happens in Warrington. 
and we've been wanting to go for a long time because there's such a lot of stuff we don't even understand about people who are wheelchair bound or you know their dependency mm. on feeding and things like that we really need to add to our communities and get them to speak and to you know to connect with them and and that's something that we're really excited about so we've got a van booked and my dream actually I want um a three-wheeler a bit like you know um Del Boy and I want it with <laughs> Colin the colon inside traveling up and down the M62 near you ask for information that's my dream really I think that Colin the colon nice. wouldn't it I mean think seriously going to schools doing a schools program you know a knitted gut inside the biology lesson because it's got it's on the curriculum and then outside we're doing Colin the colon for parents and everybody gets the information and knows where to look if they need it yeah it's just and every my team is so sick of me having these ideas though we're only eight of us <laughs> and we're all tired already <laughs> well it's amazing that you're getting people talking about it obviously to raise awareness so that people can uh think about it them themselves and know if they ever get symptoms where they can go to look and also it will help with people researching it as well because the bigger the patient voices behind it the more people will be interested in trying to find treatments and cures and find out what the patients want from that so it's really amazing and uh feels very strange to say this but i hope you have lots of people exploring your giant colon this weekend <laughs> um so just to finish off julie it's been great what is your big hope for the future and is there anything that we can do here at vmly and rx to help you reach that goal yes absolutely we've already started conversations in, in particular the esophageal gastric cancer area is we we have realized in the pandemic that you know not everybody's experience of cancer is the same and mm -hmm. We, you know, we have, we're vastly aware that we need to deliver our esophageal gastric cancer information in different formats, different languages, so that everybody can get to it and access it. And it means something to them. We particularly want to reach out to all the, you know, the areas of health inequality again, because of this pandemic, we, we understand health inequality now. We didn't as a nation before, did we? Mm -hmm. And now we understand that we've got to work that bit harder to get to groups that don't feel this is for them or that this is doesn't include them. So we're going to work together to identify those groups. We're going to go, uh, we're going to do interviews with, um, you know, uh, males specifically in socioeconomic deprived areas or with poor education or, you know, with language problems and language barriers. And we're going to make sure that all of our information is available, accessible and learn from this community what we could do. I mean, in a very simple thing, you know, when people say obesity is one of the factors in esophageal cancer, I remember sitting there thinking, What's fat on your thighs or your stomach got to do with your esophagus? I couldn't understand it. Again, very, very basic biology O level. But when somebody explained it's the excess fat on your body that you're carrying on your viscera mm -hmm. and the sphincter that is between the stomach and the esophagus, esophagus, the esophagus that stops the acid from the stomach coming up. If there is fat on that viscera, that little sphincter doesn't work properly and therefore the acid's coming up and it's changing the cells in your esophagus and it can lead to Barrett's esophagus, which is a change, a dysplasia, and then it can lead up. Suddenly when you go, oh my God, of course it's not the fat on your thighs, it's the fat on your viscera. And that's why the you know the the sphincter doesn't work and that's oh my god i think explaining that to the public so 
you know, where we have to get to people about lifestyle issues. We have to talk about a high BMI smoking and alcohol contribute and you can take control because just losing 10% of your body weight, you know, reduces it vastly on your viscera. So look after your guts. Don't take them for granted. You know, that's what that's our message. And if we can get that out there and we can get that general understanding and that connection, I think we can go further with the preventative message and get people to present earlier and not be so frightened because we've got to get the survival rates of these deadliest of cancers up. And we're going to be working with you on that with um, expert interviews and, and techniques of, of capturing and learning. We don't know the answers. Let's hear from that population what the barriers are and let's put that into action in video format, animation format, you know, all of the languages we need. Yeah, absolutely. And we're really looking forward to working with you on that. And what you've done is already reached out into a disease area that's already in need of something. And now you're reaching out the, to the communities that really need it and are underserved. So it's just it's an amazing aim to have. And hopefully it will save a lot more lives by preventing diseases that can be potentially very deadly. So very much looking forward to seeing how that goes and hope we can work together in the future on that. Um, so thank you so much, Julie. This has been so inspiring. Your stories are amazing and the work you do is clearly absolutely fantastic in the gut space. And um, it's really illustrated why our industry and many of our clients and more need to keep collaborating with patient groups such as yourself. Uh, we were discussing earlier that, you know, people who have a personal experience with certain diseases, either themselves or in their families, are always so much more dedicated and they have so much expertise in that area that you can't get from just studying or researching something. So to bring researchers and pharmaceutical companies and patients together is really what we're aiming to do with our programme. It is absolutely the sweet spot and it's why we exist. It's why we existed right at the beginning. Yes, the research is important, but not because of what researchers want to do, but what patients need, what families need, so it doesn't happen to somebody else. That is the sweet spot. It is time we got to grips with guts.